Well, good morning. Uh, thank you, Pastor Diane, for that introduction, but you ruined the joke I was going to start with. I was going to say, if anyone thought they might have felt a great disturbance in the force just now, it was, it was not the voice of millions crying out at once. It was just all of the people watching online who watched me walk to the podium and realized I was not Pastor Scott and then logged off all at once. So, anyway, there it is. So it is good to be with you here today. And like Diane said, if you would like to learn more about what disability ministry is, I would love to talk with you. Um, but that's not why I'm here this morning. I'm here to continue our journey through the book of Colossians. Uh, we've got one more stop to go next week. Uh, Pastor Scott will be back, uh, barring unforeseen circumstances. Um, but even if that were not the case, I would still tell you, please try your hardest not to miss next week because we cannot finish our time in Colossians without talking about that wonderful passage. And I'm sure Pastor Scott will do fine too. So uh, this morning, we're going to pick up where you left off last week uh, at the beginning of chapter three. So if you have your Bible with you or your handy dandy Bible app, go ahead and open that up and turn to Colossians chapter three with me. And if you're with us here this morning and as you're able to do so, I'd invite you to stand in honor of the reading of God's word. Therefore, if you were raised with Christ, look for the things that are above, where Christ is sitting at God's right side. Think about the things above and not things on earth. You died, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. So put to death the parts of your life that belong to the earth, such as sexual immorality, moral corruption, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. The wrath of God is coming upon disobedient people because of these things. You used to live this way when you were alive to those things. But now set aside those things such as anger, rage, malice, slander, and obscene language. Don't lie to each other. Take off the old human nature with its practices and put on the new nature, which is renewed in knowledge by conforming to the image of the one who created it. In this image, there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all things and in all people. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, there's this well-known theologian that uh, is very fond of talking about the book of Exodus. Maybe you've heard of this guy. He's a pretty good preacher, right? So I thought if he can talk about Exodus, no matter where we are in Scripture, that it would be okay for me this morning, even though we're talking about Colossians, to introduce that time by talking about a story from the book of Acts. So this comes, the story comes from the first chapter of Acts, and Luke is telling us what happened to Jesus after he was resurrected. So he says Jesus spent 40 days with his disciples, and then he up and leaves. I mean, he literally up and leaves. He floats right up into the sky. So this is my paraphrase, by the way. So the disciples are sitting around, standing around looking up at the sky, thinking maybe, did we get left behind? Uh, is this the prequel to the book series? Um, is he going to pop his head back through the clouds and say, oops, sorry, guys, forgot, come on up. 
Um, so they're all standing there with their mouths open, staring up at the sky, when along comes an angel. And so the angel taps one of them on the shoulder and says, uh, excuse me, not sure if you noticed, but Jesus has left the building. He's gone, but it's okay, it's okay. He said he'd be back. Just like he said, he will come back, just like you saw him leave. But why are you sitting here staring up at the sky like it's going to happen any second? Didn't he tell you you have some work to do? Didn't he say, go back to Jerusalem and wait for this Holy Spirit thing? Why don't you get on back there and do that? So, of course, that's what they do. When I hear that story, I think of an old saying. Maybe you've heard this saying before, that some people are so heavenly-minded that they're of no earthly good at all. So that it sounds like it has a lot of truth to it, right? If you've got your head up in the clouds or you're so intent on getting out of this place and getting on to the next, that you sort of run the risk of missing that whole kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven thing, right? So it seems like the angel might have been telling Jesus' disciples just that. Be careful. Don't be too heavenly-minded. Well, if we take that story and that thought and lay it alongside our passage for today, it almost seems like Paul's saying the exact opposite. Instead of telling the Colossians not to be too heavenly-minded, he keeps talking about these things above, right? He says, seek after it, think about it. In fact, the verb he uses is more like keep seeking it and keep thinking about it. Is he trying to tell them that they need to go off the grid and start a little commune out in the wilderness and just sit around and meditate on heaven all day? I don't think that's what he's saying. In fact, I'm pretty sure that's not what he's saying. But what is he saying? Let's talk about that. So we have to realize that Paul's writing mostly, if not all, to uh, Gentiles. And that can mean a lot of different things. But for the purpose of our talk today, I think what it means is that they didn't have the benefit of being immersed in God's narrative from cradle to grave. And what I mean by that is, if they had been Jewish, they would have spent all that time listening to and talking about and celebrating God's stories and God's people. Yes, even Exodus. And through all of that, they would have heard this overarching narrative, this overarching story of how God was working through those people and those stories to shape and form a people of his own that would then reflect his image, who he is, accurately back out into his creation. He wanted them to be a sign of God's desire to reconcile all of that creation back to himself, essentially a sign of the way things were meant to be and still could be. So it didn't always work out this way, unfortunately, but the intent of listening to and talking about and celebrating that narrative over and over and over again was so that that narrative would sink deep down into the core of their being to where they would begin to see themselves as part of that narrative and then begin to embody that narrative in the world. It's sort of like the idea of you are what you eat, but instead of food, they were consuming this way of thinking and being in the world. So the Gentiles were new to this. This was a new thing to them. They didn't have that story their whole lives. They'd been consuming and embodying some different narratives instead. And as they did that, they began to see themselves as part of those narratives and then embodying the messages inherent in those narratives. 
messages like, the earth and all that is in it is simply the playground and the playthings of the gods, the empire, the rich, the powerful, you name it. But now that they've been ushered into God's narrative, Paul reminds them of the distinction between the before and after. Those earthly things, those were the old narratives that formed the old human. He says, you used to walk in those ways, but now you've traded that for God's new creation narrative. They must have had some great stories at testimony nights, right? Well, as problematic as those narratives were, Paul was more concerned perhaps about another old, worn-out narrative. This one was a religious one. It may even be the whole reason he wrote this letter. We're not sure exactly what it is because he sort of just hints at it, but a lot of scholars believe that it had something to do with this very popular cult of angel worship. So here's how that narrative might have gone. So God is so holy and other, and creation is so not, that humans really have no right or basis to interact with God or even to have a relationship with Him, right? So we need a middleman. We need an intermediary. So instead of looking to Christ, they decided that they were going to look to these angels. And so they set up this whole system of do's and don'ts and proper behavior um, and sort of this secret knowledge that was intended to get the angels' attention, make them like us, and then they would relay our requests to God and bring back the blessings and the protection, right? Well, the only catch is that only strict adherence to that system brings the desired results. Well, this is obviously concerning to Paul for a lot of different reasons, but I think what was most concerning to him is that he knew exactly where this was going. It was just another version of what he'd come out of, right? In fact, in the, in the passage prior, he says, it just has this appearance of wisdom, and the results are just self-imposed worship, false humility. It has no true value. Essentially, he's worried that they would be replacing the narrative that they've been ushered into through Christ with just a self-centered, empty religiosity. It would only give them a false sense of being in control and an illusion of power and position over others because of their special knowledge. It's a little bit like looking at a mirage. From afar, it appears correct, right? Maybe a little blurry, but it looks right. But the closer you get, the more you realize there's nothing there. In fact, if you're in the desert and there's no water there, what happens? You die. So it's just full of emptiness and death. So Paul was worried that they would begin to embody that distorted narrative and the associated distorted version of God that they'd created through that. They were worried, he was worried that they would become what Jesus called whitewashed tombs, right? Nice looking on the outside, but full of death on the inside. Maybe he rightly wonders, why would they want to trade what Christ had done for them for this? like Esau trading his birthright for just a cup of stew? Why would they choose some cheap knockoff version of God in his narrative only to find out it's an empty mirage? Why would they treat God's gift to them so cheaply? Well, as we all know, those distorted religious narratives persist, right? It's not a new thing. Well, I have a confession this morning. 
I fell prey to one of those distorted religious narratives. And I'm even more ashamed to admit that that narrative was holiness. Do you still like me, Diane? Am I okay? Okay, all right. To me, I don't know if I was taught wrong or I just learned it wrong, but to me it was, holiness was about this competition towards earning a prize that I was always gonna lose. In fact, it was a little bit like this silly game that they made us play at youth camp. And I found out this morning in Middleton that this is an old game. So Pastor Josh, I'm sure you don't play this game anymore, but it's uh, you take a spoon and you put an egg on the spoon and your goal is to get from the start to the finish without dropping your egg, right? So the trick is, uh, if you drop it, you're not just out, and you can't just pick up your egg and move on. You have to go clear back to the beginning and start all over again, which is really frustrating when you're close to the finish line. So in my mind, that spoon and that egg were all the things that God was requiring of me, all the conditions that he was putting on the prize. And what was that prize? Well, it was the coveted sanctification trophy. You have to use angel voices when you say that. So try as I might, as hard as I worked at balancing those eggs, I couldn't keep them on the spoon. I might have taken five steps. I might have taken 10,000 steps. Never got to the finish line. Always dropped the eggs. And all that while I was watching others around me Maybe they would get further, and I would be jealous of them. Maybe they fell behind me, and I would use them to feel better about myself. Maybe they got to the finish line. And so there at the finish line, I was imagining God sort of cheering me on, like, come on, Jim, you can do it. Just try harder. Do better. And then everyone around him started chanting, try harder, do better, try harder, do better. Not very motivating, right? Still, I kept dropping the eggs. And sadly, over time, that uh, encouragement that I was imagining God giving me turned to disappointment and sadness. So as I consumed that distorted narrative, I began to embody the distorted messages associated with it and the distorted version of God that I'd created. I saw myself as unworthy, never good enough. And I saw God as distant and his love is always conditional. And the best I was going to get out of him was pity. Now, as you probably know, that particular narrative can play out in way more destructive ways than that. I mean, we don't even need to talk about all the examples from history. But perhaps you've met someone who's been caught up in those ways. They're really easy to spot. Everything is about balancing eggs. All of their social media posts are about how to do it right or pointing out to others how they're doing it wrong. But most certainly, they're always the ones standing at the finish line saying, try harder, do better. Maybe you've even been hurt by someone like that. Sadly, even in my version of that narrative, I ended up being the hurtful person. I can think of one specific friendship that I lost just because I was so concerned with saying the right thing, holding the right position, balancing my egg. But the saddest thing is, not only did I lose that friendship, but instead of being a welcome sign for the kingdom, I ended up being a warning sign 
right? Why would I trade what Christ had done for me for some empty and destructive egg balancing games? That's not who God is. That's not who I'm, who I'm created to be. So what's the answer? Well, right on cue, Paul has the antidote. In his best Mufasa voice, he says, remember who you are. That was a really bad impression, sorry. <laughs> Except he also adds, and remember who you are becoming. And for me, maybe he also adds, knock it off with the eggs and the spoons. So when Paul tells the Colossians to seek after and think of the things above, he's talking about their eternal identity, the one that's wrapped up in their brand new shared story with Christ, which is Christ died and was buried. He was raised back to life, and now he's seated at the right hand of God in eternity, right? So this was their story now too. Through their baptism, they had died to all the broken and destructive narratives of the old creation and had been raised to new creation life within God's story. But most importantly, their eternal identity and their very lives were now bound to and secure in Christ in eternity. But the really cool thing about this is that Paul wants them to know this isn't some future event that's going to happen out in the distance. This was their present reality. He says, you have been raised with Christ, and your life is hidden in Christ. He wanted them to know that the new creation that Christ began, the perfect and restored image of their creator, was alive and at work in them, right then and there. So when he tells them to seek that, he knows that they will begin to embody that. And then as they continue to seek that, they will, he says they will be renewed in knowledge each day, seeing that image ever more clearly. Until one day, when Christ is fully revealed, they will see in all its fullness the clearest image of that creator possible, a true and unclouded reflection of who God created them to be. That's the above that Paul's talking about. It's not the word he uses above isn't just about place or direction, it's the same word that they would use to say, hey, fill up that jug above the rim, just like DQ, fill it above the rim, right? It's all about fullness. It's about completion. So Paul wants them to know that seeking the things above is seeking after the fulfillment and completion of God's intent for them to reflect his true image in the world right then and there. That's the narrative he wants them to embody, the only one that would allow them to truly live in to God's intent for them, to really bring his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. So to me, when I think of all that, it seems like Paul actually might be saying, you must be completely heavenly-minded in order to be any earthly good. Now, I don't think he meant minding how you get to heaven, or worrying about the hereafter, or worrying about how to make God or angels happy. He meant for them to not let the old interfere with their vision of and identity within the new. He meant for them to clear away, to let what was dead be dead, all that was clouding and distorting a clear image 
of who they were created, created to be, the creator image version of themselves eternally hidden in Christ with the hope that they would, day by day, begin to resemble that person ever more clearly. But wait, there's more. As if that's not enough, he also reminds them that that entire process is something they'll do and experience together. In that process, he calls it a renewal. They'll discover there's no competition, there's no secret knowledge to do it better, and there's no one more or less deserving. No hierarchy of Jews versus Greeks or slaves versus free, because all are fellow image bearers on the same journey with the same goal, the same vision, the same identity. And so he tells them, knock it off. Stop lying to each other. Stop lying about who you are and about how you should live into that together. He wants them to seek after and be who they are in Christ alone. Because as he says, Christ is all and is in all. You know, it sounds to me an awful lot like this heavenly-mindedness thing is somewhat like what holiness is supposed to be about. Well, I discovered that truth eventually. I realized the lie I was living into and that it was only leading nowhere. I'd been obscuring who I am in Christ with all those things that he'd rescued me from, all the things that had already been crucified. And I realized some important points along the way. God is not a God of pity. God is a God of unconditional love. And we don't need to do better and try harder to earn that love or any sort of prize. We don't need to work at being perfect either. That's not even our work to do. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. It's what happens to us as we do what Paul told the Colossians to do, continually seeking after and setting our minds on the undistorted image of who we are and who, are, who we are becoming in Christ alone. So once I began to realize and live into those truths, I realized something very profound. I realized that he had been working in me, not the other way around. He was shaping and forming me, making his image in me more and more clear. All I needed to do was to continue to take away the things that were keeping me from seeing and being that, the things that were obscuring my vision. Essentially, I needed to be more heavenly minded. I also realized another key truth. This whole heavenly mindedness, holiness thing, it's not something I do alone. I get to walk that journey with you. Just like the Colossians, we get to do that together. And it's not a competition. There's no distinction between us in terms of who does it better or who's more deserving than whom. We might each be at different points, have different strengths, come from different backgrounds, different cultures, you name it. All of those are wonderful, wonderful distinctions. But we all share one goal, one vision that we are walking towards together and helping each other along the way. So all that to say, I'm here to tell you this morning that God is still at work today, here and now, forming a people of his own, a people who will reflect who he is correctly back out into his creation. 
a people who will be a sign that God still wants to reconcile all of creation back to himself, a sign of the way things were meant to be and yet still could be. We are that people. You are part of that. That's God's narrative, God's story, your story, our story. So how is your heavenly mindedness this morning? Can you see that vision of who you really are in Christ? Can you see yourself within that story? If you can, then you realize that all those illusions and empty narratives that you thought defined you in the past are now crucified, dead, buried. You've been ushered into new creation life right now within God's ongoing story of redemption. That's your identity. That's your present reality. And as you continue to seek after that and live into that, day by day, your creator's image will become more and more clear to you and renewed within you. And as you do that, as we all do that together, you will begin to see yourself, others, and all of creation in the ways that your creator sees them. And then, one glorious day, when Christ is fully revealed, you'll be able to see the clearest and most beautiful image of your creator in yourself. That eternally secure version of you that's hidden in Christ. That's who you are, who you are becoming, and who you've been created to be. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for allowing us to be part of your story of redemption. Help us each to see who we really are in you. Help us to seek after it. Help us to live into it together. Fill us with your Holy Spirit so we can clear our vision so we can become your kingdom here on earth and reflect who you are to a lost and broken world. May we be and continue to become who you've created us to be, both individually and as a people together. Father, help us to be more heavenly minded. Amen. Let's continue to worship. Would you stand with us? Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, spread through the fiercest round and storm. What heights of love, what depths of
have to listen hard this morning to know that we were talking about that thing called what? The sanctified life, right? So if that's a story you want to live into, if that's the identity that you want to be, then this benediction is for you. May you be clothed with the new person that is being renewed in and through you in knowledge according to the image of the one who created it. And may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Go in his peace.